things called pages, and you, you use like a pen on it, and it's kind of cool. And uh, I, li- I like to write it out each day and see what I'm doing, and, and it helps me process what needs to happen each day. And, and this cool planner that I've got, it's got little quotes on the top of each page, little motivational sayings. I like some of them. Some of them are kind of whatever. Most of the, the people, I have no clue who they are. I have to Google and find out who this, these people are. This, this one stood out to me this week. It's from a guy named H. Jackson Brown, Jr., American author. In case you wanted to Google that, you know, sorry I stole that from you. Some American author, and he says, you can get by on charm for about 15 minutes. After that, you better know something. And so, I've never really been accused of having much charm in the first place. So we better, we better hope I know something today, right? But just to tell you guys a little bit about our church, if you're new here, uh, we're a church... I wouldn't say who prides ourselves uh, on, on the Word of God. We are a church who takes very seriously the Word of God. This book is the very words of the Lord. All right, And so what I don't know, I do know that God does. And God has given us instruction for all manners, all manners of faith and practice. Everything that we come against in this life, we can find them in the pages of this book. And he's preserved this book so that it applies throughout all history. And what we're going to see in 2 Peter today is that there are a lot of people all throughout history that have messed with the words of this book. Right? There, there are people that God calls false prophets. There are people that God refers to as false teachers. And we've got to be aware of those people, and we've got to be aware of their methods. All right? And so that's what we're going to see in 2 Peter today. And we're going to pick up where Jeff left off. He finished in uh, verse 10 last week of chapter 2. So we'll pick up there, and then we'll get into the details when we get to verse 12. But go ahead and turn there, and we'll read together from verse 10 all the way to the, to the finish of the chapter. So we've got a lot to cover. I'm going to have to talk fast. All right. Verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, okay, and the these we see here are those false teachers, but these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass, that's a a non-speaking donkey, for those of you who've never heard that phrase from the Bible before. The unspeaking donkey, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, 
to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they, speaking great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her own wallowing in the mire. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come to you today recognizing that not everybody sees your word the way you want them to. We come to you today humbly wanting to see it as it is in truth. Lord, we submit ourselves to what you have to say. We submit ourselves to your word, and we ask, we beg that you direct us. Give us understanding and help us to properly react to what you have to say. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the first thing you guys should have uh, a little sheet that you, you got when you came in. On there, you can fill out your notes. The first thing we're going to look at, is we're going to see a biblical view of false teachers. A biblical view of false teachers. And the first thing we see about false teachers is that, letter A, they have a natural understanding. Back in verse 12 of 2 Peter 2, But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now there's a a parallel passage, Jeff's talked about this. Jude is just one chapter, and and it runs very parallel specifically with the second chapter of 2 Peter, right? A lot of the things that you see in 2 Peter chapter 2, you see almost the exact same things worded just maybe a little bit different in Jude. And in Jude verse 10, we see, but these also talking of of false teachers, these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we say, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What the Bible says about false teachers is they only have the understanding of a lost man. They don't understand the word of God. This book is spiritually discerned, and it requires the spirit of God living inside of you and comparing spiritual things with spiritual to understand what's going on here. And he says false teachers don't have that. He's not necessarily saying that they're lost. He's saying they have the understanding of the lost. Maybe they've quenched that spirit. Maybe they've pridefully turned from what God's shown them. Satan's subtle, isn't he? He's tricky. There's false doctrine that comes out of this passage warning us against false doctrine. It's incredible. The snake, the serpent, more subtle than any beast of the field. That's what he says about Satan. 
And what Satan says about God's word is, yea, hath God said? Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's what he means when he says what he says? He's constantly trying to get us to ask. I don't think that's what God meant. That offends me. I don't, that couldn't possibly be what God meant if it comes against me. This passage has a phrase that we just saw, made to be taken and destroyed. And there's a false doctrine called Calvinism. It's called Reformed theology most often nowadays. Because Calvin, that just sounds bad, you know, following some old dude from way back when. We're, we're more Reformed than that. Reformed theology teaches that this word made means created. Some were created for destruction, some were created for salvation. You just get what you get, and there's no choice in the matter. But if we look in the Bible, the word made has all kinds of different meanings. God uses it in different contexts. He uses it for, to say different things. If we look in Genesis 1.31, it does mean created. And he says it over and over and over again. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. Those were the things he created. But it can also mean caused, which is not the same thing. And you can see that in Genesis 21.6, where he made Sarah to laugh. He did not create Sarah to laugh. He told her when she was 100 years old she was going to have a baby, and she said, what? <laughs> right? He, he, she was not created for laughter. That's ridiculous. It means something different. Genesis 21, verse 6 says so. Genesis 19:33, Lot's daughters made him to drink wine. They forced him. They didn't create him to drink wine. It doesn't say the same thing. It's not the same thing. In Matthew 4, 3, we see that Satan is tempting Jesus to have the rocks made into bread. They're one thing, he wants them to change it. And all over the place, you see these words together, made ready, made ready. The sacrifices are made ready. The animals were not created to be destroyed. They were made ready for destruction. They had to be destroyed because of sin. Just like these brute beasts preaching false doctrine. They're made ready for destruction because of their sin. They weren't created for destruction. They brought it on themselves. Proponents of this same false doctrine, they'll take you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, which being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And they will tell you, this is the same thing. See? Not only were they created for it, they were appointed for it. They were appointed to be disobedient. No. Read the context, read the whole chapter, and you'll see they were appointed to the same thing that you and I are appointed to. Obedience to the Word of God. Obedience to Christ. They weren't appointed to be disobedient, they were disobedient to the appointment. They got it backwards. They pulled that false doctrine right out of a place that says, hey, beware of false teachers. He's subtle. He's very sneaky. And as far as the brute beasts, we don't have time for it, but if you compare that to the brutish man you find in Proverbs, the brutish man is always correlated with a fool. The fool is a man who does not believe the word of God, who does not believe in God, does not obey the word of God, and brings destruction onto himself because of his foolishness. He wasn't created to be a fool, to be destroyed. He was created to glorify God like everything else God created. And he chose not to. 
and brought that upon himself. He was made ready for destruction. He was prepared. That's what it means here. Letter B, the second thing we see about these false teachers is they work to deceive. They work for the deceiver, and they work to deceive. Back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. That's an interesting phrase. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. You think they're your friends, but they're taking pleasure in deceit. They're, they're taking pleasure in beguiling you as an unstable soul. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 tells us how we should deal with these guys. Tell us what to look out for. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are such, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We've got to watch out. We've got to make sure that we're not simple. The way you do that is through this word, through this book. Revelation 12, 9 associates them with the devil. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, subtle as he is, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. These guys that only have natural understanding, they're working to deceive because they work for the deceiver. And the only thing that they have to offer is letter C, they... They only have to offer empty promises. They only have empty promises to offer. They have no substance. Back in 2 Peter, he says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Over in Jude, verse 12 says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about by winds, or carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. What, what good is a fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit? Remember when Christ saw the olive tree, that it had no fruit, and he cursed it, and it died. Not because he hates plants. It's a picture. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He warns us not to be that. If we're not to be that, you're not to listen to somebody who is that. How many of you know somebody who can't make up their mind what they believe? That's okay. They need help. They're not a counselor, right? They're not ready to give you direction on what you should believe if they don't know what they believe. If you take that counsel, they're your false teacher. Proverbs 25, 14, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. The farmer's watching. He needs rain on the field. He needs water. The clouds are coming. He's rejoicing. The clouds come, and the clouds go, and there's nothing. That's what these guys are. They look promising. Great swelling words. They make you feel good. But there's no change. There's no substance to what they offer. 
Jeremiah 14.3 talks about these nobles sending their children. They sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned to their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. He sent them to the wells. There was no water. You know what he calls water or wells without water? It's a pit. What's interesting, what else does the Bible talk about pits for? What, what, what do people in the Bible dig pits for? They dig them for wells. They dig them for graves. They dig them for traps, right, to, to trap animals. They threw Do Joseph in a pit that was supposed to probably be a well. It had no water. And the pit of hell is all through Scripture. Right? It's referred to as the bottomless pit, the pit of corruption, the sides of the pit. It's talking about hell itself. God refers to these people who teach false doctrine. He refers to them as wells without water. They are a direct connection to the pit of hell. And they're dangerous for your eternity. Back in 2 Peter, we see the payment. Did you guys catch the payment? It shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. Acts 1.18 talks about the reward of iniquity that Judas received. Back in 2 Peter again, Chapter 2, verse 15, this guy named Balaam, we're going to see him in just a minute, he, he sought for the wages of unrighteousness. And we all know the wages of sin in Romans 6.23 is death. The only payment these guys can offer is death. They don't have any life-giving information. They don't have the Spirit to give you the life from the Word of God. It's in, they're incapable. All they can offer is death. And so now we've seen what these, these guys are kind of all about. Number two, we're going to look at a biblical history of false teachers. We've seen a biblical view of them. Let's, let's see a biblical history. Because in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers today among us, right? So back then, he's, he's referring to the, to the past. He's saying there were false prophets. There are now false teachers. Same thing. Well, how do we know what to look for? Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. All right, so he says, you want to know how to look out for the false teachers? Go into the Old Testament and look at the things that were written. Find these guys called false prophets. They're kind of the same thing. They work with the same MO, right? They're working for the same guy. They're easy to spot. Over in Jude, verse 11, he says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. So we're going to cover these guys. We're going, to, we're going to hit all three of them as quick as I possibly can. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to go chronologically. So he, he lists them, Cain and, and Balaam, and then Cory. We're going to go Cain, Cory, Balaam, because that's the order we hit them in Scripture. So uh, letter A is the way of Cain. The way of Cain. He says... 
you want to turn to Genesis chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 2 in just a second. But before we get to that up on the screen, 1 John 3.12 says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Whenever you see this phrase, or the beginning of the phrase, the way of, in Scripture, it has to do with somebody's walk. Right? The way of Cain is the way Cain walked. It's the works that he did. All right? The way of the Red Sea is how you walk along the Red Sea. The way of Cain is how he walked in his life and the things that he did. And, and it says here in 1 John that his walk, his works, were evil. That's going to be important later. Genesis 4.2. This is, this is, we get a little bit of understanding about Cain and Abel. These are the first two children of Adam and Eve. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. In Genesis chapter 3, just before this, we see God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden and laying out the details of the curse because of their unrighteousness. In verse 17 he says, Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten the tree of which I commanded thee, saying... Thou shalt not eat of it. Here's the result. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return to the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. Alright, so how's he going to get... What's part of the curse? He's cursed the very ground. Now you're going to have to work your tail off to get anything out of it. Remember when you were in the garden and it just all took care of itself? And it grew and it was awesome and and the fruit was there and you could eat of it? Well, now it's going to cost you hard, hard labor. That's how you're going to feed yourself. That's part of the curse. Genesis 4, verse 3 continue on and see what Cain and Abel were doing. And in, this, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Here, God, here's this thing that grew out of the thing that you cursed. Does that make you feel good? And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and of his offering, and to his offering. But unto Cain... And to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And we know he goes off and he murders his brother. That's not the point of the story. That's not the way of Cain, all right? Certainly, murder is bad. But that's not what God is concerned about when he's warning us of the way of Cain. Cain's way of appeasing God was through his own works. Because he had to work as hard as he possibly could Certainly God will be pleased with this. Look how much I've given to the Lord. Look how hard I've worked for God. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that the best that we can do, our righteousnesses, the hardest you can work, the best you can offer to God, is like filthy rags. The best we come up, the best we can do in our cursed flesh, is still cursed just like the ground that Cain offered from. And God had already communicated to these men what a sacrifice was supposed to look like. 
Back in Genesis 3.21, as he's booting them out, it says in verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. He covered their shame by killing a lamb. Animals don't live without their skins, right? It's not possible. An animal had to die to cover the shame of their nakedness. The works were the punishment. They weren't the way to get back. They were the result. God never said, hey, here's your punishment. You do that until I'm happy. No, that was just the punishment. That's all it was. Cain was into making his own way to God. Remember in in John chapter 1, when Christ is approaching John the Baptist, he's at the Jordan River, he's baptizing people. John the Baptist sees him. What does he say? Behold the works of man which taketh away the sin of the world. Is that what he said? No, he said, behold, what? The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God had already set this up. It requires the death of the Lamb to cover your shame. Only the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, can permanently do that job. So, if you see a false teacher who's telling you that you have to work to get your salvation, run from that. That's false teaching. That's a lie. A lie that will end you in hell. Because without the covering of Jesus Christ's blood, without the shedding of the perfect blood of the perfect lamb on the cross at Calvary, you've got no chance. Your works are cursed without the blood of the lamb. On your sheet, you have Cain's offense, attempting to reach God through works. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus is talking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way, there's one truth, there's one source of eternal life, and that's Jesus Christ, not your works. The result is destruction. Back in Jude 11, he says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Genesis 4.16 shows the way of Cain, the final destination. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He was with God and he left. He went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. He left the presence of the Lord and ended up in a place named Nod, which means exile. He's gone from the Lord. He's exiled from the Lord. Because his works weren't good enough, and neither are ours. Next, we'll look at the gainsaying of Korah. Back in Jude 11, it said, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. It's spelled different. Don't freak out. One of them spelled with a C in the New Testament. One of them spelled with a K in the Old Testament. One came from Greek. One came from Hebrew. That's... We're going to stick with the K because that's where the story is found in Numbers chapter 16. This word gainsaying comes from an old English word that's spelled G-E-G-N. I assume it's spoken the same way, pronounced the same way, gain. It means to, to go against, to speak against, to contradict, to oppose, to hinder. So gainsaying is saying something that possibly with the intention of personal gain, maybe not, in disagreement with something somebody else has declared. 
gainsaying is speaking against somebody else's spoken words. And we find the story of Korah in in Numbers chapter 16. If you want to turn there, we're going to be there for just a minute. Before we get there, we can look in Luke 21 on the screen. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. There's that word again. I'm going to give you a word that they can't say anything against. Right? I'm going to give you a word that they can't resist. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, and I might butcher some of these names, we'll just keep rolling. The son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, they took men, and here's where their offense comes in, and they rose up before Moses with the certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, What did they gather these guys for? And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? When somebody comes to accuse somebody else of being prideful, they're guilty of the very same thing. Whether the the person being accused is guilty or not, these guys are certainly guilty of pride. You take too much upon you. We, We can hear the words of the Lord. What do we need you for? And Moses, check this out, Moses heard it and he fell upon his face. Those of you who like to study the word of God, check out every time Moses hits his face. Not good things follow for the nation of Israel. Every time. Moses hits his face in humility because he knows the Lord's on his way to wipe somebody out. Because Moses knows, I, I, I didn't start this thing. It's not my idea. I didn't even want to come down here. I can't even talk. He's, he's complaining about stumbling lips, right? It wasn't my idea. God sent me. You're coming against me. You're against God. I'm hitting the deck. You guys are in trouble. Check it out. Every time. And he spake unto Korah and unto his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even to him whom he hath chosen, will he cause to come near unto him. If we jump ahead to verse 28, And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them in mine own mind. I didn't come up with this. This wasn't my idea but I'm going to obey the Lord. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. If these guys don't die tomorrow, you can call me a fake. That's what he's saying. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that pertain, appertain unto them, and they go down into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder and was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. They, and all that appertained unto them, went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them, and they perished among the congregation. 
or from among the congregation. Korah's offense on your sheet is leading a prideful rebellion. He led a prideful rebellion. And the result was death. Do not pass go. Do not collect $100. Go straight alive into the pit of hell. That's, God does not mess around when you're talking about rebellion. Moses knew it. That's why he dropped to his face. It's death. It's separation from the congregation. That's what they experienced. Number 1635 says, And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. You follow false teachers. God sucks them into the earth and destroys them, and he's going to scorch you too. Do not mess around. I don't know. Am I the only one that gets goosebumps? That freaks me out. Jude 11, back in Jude 11, it says they perished in the gainsaying of Corey. This is why you don't mess around with gossip. This is why you put slander to an end. You don't mess around with it. God takes it very serious. And you don't hang out with those who do. It's just too dangerous. And then let her see the heir of Balaam. I wish we had time to, to do this whole story, but you've got you to check out the story of Balaam. Back in 2 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, which have forsaken the right way, again talking about the false teachers, and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity by the dumb donkey, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. prophet. All right, so this donkey that can't talk all of a sudden talks with man's voice, and for some reason I can't not imagine it as Eddie Murphy's voice. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but everybody likes a parfait, right? <laughs> Sorry. That's what I hear. It's, a, it's actually a female donkey, but it says a man's voice there, so I'll go with Eddie Murphy's. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that part of the story, but we do, we do need to, to set up what, what the error of Balaam was. And we find that in Numbers 22, verse 1. And the children of Israel set forth and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. They're not in the promised land yet. They're, they're on the east side. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. They wiped them out. It was awesome. And Moab was sore afraid of the people. The king of Moab is this guy named Balak, because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. Okay, so what's going on here? This, this guy named Balak, he's the king of Moab. He sees the Israelites coming. They're wiping out anybody that steps in front of them, because that's God doing that. And he finds this guy named Balaam. And he knows this guy named Balaam, he's got some spiritual weird powers. right? He's got the ability to put curses on people. And so he goes to this guy. He's seen the results, man. I'm going to this guy. He goes to Balaam, and he, and he gives Balaam some cash. He gives him some gold and some silver, and he says, hey, there's, there's an enemy coming, and I need you to put a curse on him so I can wipe him out. And Balaam's a smart guy. He's got some weird spiritual connections, and he knows that the people coming are connected to God, the God, not, not the fake ones, the, the God of the universe. And he says, well, I better check first. I better ask permission. And in verse 9, he says, and God came to Balaam and said, 
what men are these with thee? Like, God didn't know, right? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. There's a lot of them. Come now, curse me them. That sounds kind of like a pirate, but curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. There's one, don't, don't go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Don't go with them. Don't curse them. So Balaam goes out, and he, he pronounces a blessing, because that's what God told him to do. And Balak, man, he's all ticked off. He's like, dude, I just threw away good money for that, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you even more money to curse those people so I can conquer them. I'll give you more money. And Balaam's response is in verse 18. Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me the, his house full of silver and gold, everything that he owns, I cannot go beyond the word of my, the Lord my God to do less or more. And I say, Amen. Now therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. We just told him not to go. Now he's telling him to go. But yet the word of which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. <clears throat> and so Balaam rose up in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Everything looks great. You ask me for something, I go ask God, he gives me an answer, I tell you what the answer is. It, it looks to me like this guy's doing exactly what we would hope that we would do. Somebody asks me a question, I go ask the Lord, and I give them an answer. But for some reason, in verse 22, it says, And God's anger was kindled because he went. I thought God just told him to go. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And this is where the whole thing gets really entertaining, and, and we just don't have time for it. So please, make sure you read that story. It's awesome. All of a sudden, for no apparent reason, God changes his, God's hacked at, at Balaam, and he just told him to go. So either God's on some emotional roller coaster kind of thing, or we missed something. Most likely we missed something, right? Balaam had the answer to the question already, didn't he? Nothing in Balak's request had changed, except for the amount he was offering. Balaam already had the answer. There was no new question. There was just more money on the table. And he goes and asks again, how many of you with children? You ask me one more time, they're going to find you on the moon. Right? <laughs> Quit asking that question. You know, we do that because you know, we get irritated easy, but God takes very seriously what he told this man to do. And if we fast forward up to to Numbers chapter 24, the very end of the chapter. It says, Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. You get to the end of these three chapters, and, and Balaam has only given blessings to the nation of Israel. And Balak still hates them. He, he's still afraid of them. They're still his enemy. But the very next chapter, verse 1, Balaam rose up, or sorry, and Israel abode in Shedem, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. How in the world did that happen? If you read through the story, it's not apparent. 
these people are over here, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Israelite men are taking the daughters of Moab. What happened? Numbers 31, verse 16 says, Behold, these, the Moabites, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of, of the Lord. God punishes Israel because of taking the daughters of Moab. He told them not to do it. He told them not to take the daughters of any other nation because they're going to lead you to the false gods of the other nations. And they did both. Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against thee. This is Jesus talking to the churches. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. You see, Balaam said, I can't pronounce a curse on the Israelites. I can't do it. But God can. I won't go against the word of the Lord, but I'll show you a way around it. I'll show you a loophole. All for money. He sold the souls of the Israelites for financial gain. Balaam's offense, selling the souls for personal gain, covetousness. And how did he know it would work? How did he know that dangling the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes in front of the Israelites would work? Because that's what he was doing, man. He was covetous. He wanted money. And he knew they wanted women. So I can't curse them, but I know how you can get them to have God come down on them hard. And when God comes down on them, they're going to be weak and you can do whatever you want. I'll show you a way around the word of the Lord. And the result is distraction and defeat. They ran greedily in Jude 11. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. We've seen a, a biblical view of these false teachers. We've seen the biblical history of the false prophets and false teachers. Number three, we've got to understand, we've got to have a biblical view of avoiding false teachers. And first off, we're going to look at those who don't. Those who don't avoid. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he, he says in verse 3, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. This is a farmer farming his fields. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell on good, or in, into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We're talking about false teachers, now we're talking about seeds and dirt and plants and, huh? He who hath ears to, what's going on? I don't get it. Luckily for us, the, the disciples didn't get it either, so Jesus further explains in verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. 
When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while, he endures for a while. For when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the word into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The parable of the sower is about the seed which pictures the word of God, being planted in different types of soils, which pictures our hearts. If you want to avoid being fooled by false teachers, you have to have the right heart. You have to have the right response to the word. We're going to come right back to this parable, but, but let's finish up 2 Peter chapter 2 really quickly. While they promise, in verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. And the public service announcement, people will try to take that phrase and teach you that you can lose your salvation. You couldn't earn it with your works. You can't keep it with them either. That's not what it's teaching. It's the way of righteousness, not the way to righteousness. The way of, what did we say that study was? It's the walk. It's the works. This is Ephesians 2.10, Galatians 4.1-4. It's consecration. It's walking with the Lord. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. This is what Jeff talked about last week. They're going to lose some things. They're going to lose rewards. It had been better for them not to know the way than, after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. What a pleasant picture of your sin. You've been set free from that sin, but you're going to return back and lick it up. You're believing a lie. You, you believe that you have to do that. I, I just can't help it, man. Then you believe a lie. The sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Study out the word mire. It's not just mud. She's stuck. She's stuck in the mire. That's what held you in bondage. And you go back to it? Willingly? Don't fall for the false teaching. So comparing false teachers to the parable of the sower. We'll finish up the notes here in just a second. This is, this is how false teachers work. The first thing we saw was truth removed. Truth is removed. Or it could be added to. 
Whatever changes it from being just truth. Without the seed, there's no life. There's nothing that can grow. Our way has no seed. Mixing our way with God's way is not truth. And we've seen that a half lie or a half truth is is a full lie. It's still a lie. And you cannot get to the Lord by anything but truth, by anything but Christ. And what will end up happening is is the, the full lie, it'll be consumed by the enemy along with your eternal soul. The second thing we see is truth without roots. And that's the story of Korah. It was bondage. There's no connection to the source of life, the water that you need. The very thing that, the very other thing that the plant needs to grow, the sunlight, is what destroys it. That sounds like a, a prideful man receiving truth or refusing truth, right? You need the word, but without reaching low, without allowing your roots to reach low in humility, you'll never reach the water. You'll never be strong enough to stand. Pride cometh, and then the fall. God scorneth the scorner, but gives grace to the lowly. And then the the third one, truth choked out. It's entangled. It's fruitless. The word is not getting into you, just like A plant can't get nutrients from the ground. It can't get nutrients from the water. It can't get any sunlight because it's choked out by the other plant's roots. It's choked out by the thorns that are around it. And if it can't get those nutrients, it can't bear fruit. It's alive, but it'll never bear fruit because everything else is robbing it of what it needs to be healthy, what it needs to grow, and what it needs to bear fruit. Just like you, distracted by the cares of this world. Just like me, when I focus on everything around me and take no time for the Word and take no time for the Lord. We're defeated because we're distracted. We cannot grow. We cannot bear fruit. That's if you don't avoid the false teachers. Those things work. (laughs) All of those false teachers are guilty of the same things they're teaching. They're guilty of the same flaws that they fell for or that they're, they're trying to get us to fall for. Let it be those who do avoid. The truth flourishes. It's fruitfulness. Those who do, those who are able to avoid, they will flourish. It says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Stay connected to the vine. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So how do we abide in him? How do we stay close? Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word, holding on tight to the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able with, by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those false teachers. Sound doctrine. By sticking to the word, by sticking to the church, the body where God has given you to protect you and help you grow. Sticking with his word. That's how you're going to be able to do it. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We started off looking at Cain, who was a workman who had nothing but shame. 
That's because he wasn't covered by grace. That's because he wasn't covered by the Lamb. His works, he was trying to get out of the shame. And it doesn't work that way. Only after he has covered you do your works keep you from being shamed. That's what Jeff talked about last week. Suffering loss does not mean losing salvation. It's shame. And we do that by rightly dividing the word of truth. And it takes hard work. By the sweat of your brow, right? But that's not what gets you to God. So in conclusion, how not to be fooled. You have to have a biblical perspective on truth and lies. You have to understand that there's motivations behind these lies. It's not just some people are confused and some people aren't. That's true. But the higher up you go, the closer they are to the deceiver. And they want to deceive you and they take joy in deceiving you and they want, because he wants, no glory for Jesus Christ. And we've got to stick close close to the source. All of this hinges upon this book. Your approach to it and your reception of it. Now the band's going to come up here. You guys can start coming up. Maybe, maybe you've thought all these years that, that one of these days you're going to clean up your act. That one of these days you're going to you're going to do it right. You're going you're to be what God wants you to be. And we've seen through Cain today, that's, that's just not the case. That's just not possible. So we're going to bow our heads. I don't want anybody looking around. Let's, let's close our eyes. Let's talk to the Lord for just a moment. If you're in the house today, if you're in here today, and, and you've thought your whole life that God was waiting for you to get your life right, That's not the truth. He, through Jesus Christ, has died and bled. The perfect lamb sacrifice was made on your behalf. He's not waiting for you to get right. He's waiting for you to come to him in humility and ask him to forgive you for those sins. To ask him to be the Lord of your life. All you got to do is ask. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He has made a way, the only way. And we need to turn to that. And the way you do that, Romans 10 tells us, that you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you confess with your mouth that that God has raised him from the dead. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved.